pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome to Declarations of War, Eve's longest-running podcast. This is episode 269. Nice. I am your host, Nora CEO Alexei Card. Join my faithful co-host, Nor FC Levitain. G'day, g'day, g'day. And former Nor director and current FC team manager for Eve University, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. This is Declarations of War, where we discuss Eve PvP and politics with a mercenary perspective. And last episode... We asked the audience, where will we see the Winter War of 24? There's always a big Winter War in EVE. Where is it going to happen this year? We had a lot of shakeups to the map toward the end of last year, and the audience is pretty divided. All the options were fairly evenly split, but there were two contending favorites. The Southwest and the Southeast each got 33% of the vote indicating that the plurality, the majority of our audience believes that the conflict will happen in the South one way or the other. I think that's fair. Now, that has since come out, since we put that poll out, that the Southeastern Agreement will not be renewed. That means the Southeastern corner of the map will be fair game for the larger alliances in EVE. Apparently, with all the political shakeups last year, uh, initiative who was one of the key proponents of that treaty just didn't feel like it was worth all of the effort to upkeep it and wasn't entirely happy with how the experiment had played out so that agreement is dropping now that's not a guarantee that the southeastern regions will be immediately gobbled up by the large alliances that are bordering them but it does open up that possibility uh, if it does happen i think it's unlikely to be considered a major war Unless, and this is a very distinct possibility, some of the other alliances come in and use it as a proxy war of some kind where they deploy their SIGs to somehow contest on that alliance's behalf. It's hard to imagine Horde resisting the uh, urge to expand into the southeast, right? And it's also hard to imagine goons resisting the urge to at least say something about that. Whether they do anything about it, hmm. I'm not so sure. Given all the uh, issues they've had with the corp theft and they've had to, you know, think about other reasons to crab and stuff. Not so sure whether they'll do anything yet, but uh, I, I think it's an automatic that, you know, Horde will just absorb the Southeast. Yeah, especially with Fraternity over their shoulder, I think they're fairly aligned with each other in trying to expand their rental territories. So I kind of agree with you. I think it's likely goon swarm coming in it seems like they're still able to put out fleets and they're still very willing to scrap with horde and and other groups but i don't see them committing significant capital and super capital resources which is really what they would need to make it a proper fight so i think they'll come in for fun they might slow down some of that progress hand out a couple key defeats but I, i don't really see it being a pitched fight under those circumstances of course, the closer Horde gets to their borders, the tighter that that squeeze feels. They might get a more pressure to do something more final, more committed. 
It certainly looks like a slow pincer movement, you know, pushing goons and initiative into the corner of the map they already hold. Previously, we had that massive war, the World War B2, where um, they just they did it all very quickly and pushed in really quickly. This seems more like a, you know, a gradual push towards the same ends. Yeah. Liv, do you think it could be a case of a slow-boiling frog? I think it's going to have to be. I mean, they they tried something high-intensity last time, and they expended an enormous amount of effort and couldn't achieve the strategic thing. Nowadays, if you look at the Alliance the map itself, almost 40% of the whole ring of Nullsec itself is Pandafam. We obviously goons on operating on the, on the polar opposite of the, of the clock face. As you say, you've got initiative to the north of them who, although they're kind of neutral, they are historically well aligned with Imperium itself and are very much the buffer between that between the northern front. And then the southeast itself, as you say, is about to go become a little bit of a Thunderdome. The going on with, with people going into Providence soon, uh, it's not going to play huge amounts in there. I don't see them really committing stupid amounts of uh, forces to that itself. I think it, fights will happen opportunistically rather than by design unless someone makes a big boo-boo. Well, speaking of the grand design, we're going to get into our top stories. And we have a running theme here this year of naughty things happening during the holidays. Man, just a a really rough Christmas for a lot of people in EVE, including the very hosts of this show. So we're going to get into it, starting with a follow-up from our previous episode where we talk about EVE University, the wormhole theft, and the eviction of the wormhole campus. And then we'll get into what's happened recently with the network and snuff. And we'll get into the recent, as of just yesterday, massive, massive fight in Turner. Huge, huge brawl there between the Turner residents that we've got to talk about. And then we're going to go into the Black Mark Awards. We've got the nominations in, and we're going to be discussing the candidates for all our various reward categories. It's going to be a great show. But let's start it off with Eve University. Not a great situation for the Uni Zero. That's right, Alec. It's uh, It's been a rough few weeks for the whole of the group because... You know, EVUNI is not exactly set up as a military force, right? So when when they get pushed on, when they get attacked in any one area, it takes kind of the attention of the whole group, really, uh, and focuses it on that to some extent. Because the leadership only, only got so much time, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been difficult, but, you know, I'll do my best to represent it as accurately and as faithfully as I can. Let's start at the beginning. For those who are listening to this for the first time, it's 2024, we might have some new listeners. Talk about Eve University's Wormhole Campus. What is that community about? What's the concept? Give a rough idea of the structure and the setup. Yeah, so Eve University's been around for 20 years now with the game, really. 11 years ago, they decided uh, to venture into Wormhole Space and set up a campus there. They've since changed the terminology over time and, and sort of defined different things around it and done different things. And I've only been in playing this game for, you know, a few years now, so I'm not intimately familiar with the history. But say 11 years ago, they set this this uh, community up in um, wormhole space. So they held a C2 wormhole with a high sec and a, a C3 static, and they had a great deal of... Um, resource in there they had a lot of structures they had some large structures they had uh, every post was covered and uh, a lot of members would spend time in there doing various activities mostly new players that were in wormhole space for the first time so you know learning about 
cloaky gameplay, learning about wormhole mechanics, learning about wormhole PvP and PvE. So the group was um, a little bit gated from the rest of the community because, you know, if you've got a, a wormhole, you need a little bit of operational security uh, around your bookmarking, around your access to structures, things like that, and access to your different um, industrial resources and the things of that nature in the hole as well, for various reasons, which I won't go into now. But, you know, it was a little bit of a separate community then. And Eve Uni has these separate communities in a sense, but Wormall Campus, Wormall Community was definitely a little bit more separate than anything else. Because, you know, to be living in a Wormall, one thing is you kind of have to have an Omega account because if you can't cloak, then uh, you're going to be in trouble. So the community was something that had been around for a long time, but the the leadership, the way it was set up, the way it was run had morphed and changed over time, right? So it, it had never really been like a static style of, of approaching how to teach people wormhole gameplay. This had emerged and changed and, and things had moved around and it had been different emphasis over the years on different elements of wormhole gameplay. You know, over the years, there has been more emphasis on PvP and less or so more recently. And, and you know, these things ebb and flow depending on the population at the time, the way that the uni- university is structured, things of that nature. So so generally, it was um, at the time that this happened, a group of rather new players who were more sort of less experienced with PvP than, should we say, than... Um, than players who are constantly maybe at risk in the NullSec area. And Alec, you, you're familiar with the NullSec area, PC9. Uh, yep. that, that had been under attack uh, for quite a significant time over the last few years. You know, there had been periods of each year where they'd kind of been under siege, right, of some description for new players. And maybe maybe some of the, the battle hardiness was present in that community, whereas in the Wormhole group, they'd kind of been left alone for 11 years, almost. I mean, there had been a few times where the structures had been reft and uh, they'd had to put up a good defence. For the vast majority of those 11 years, they'd basically existed at the grace of the Wormhole community. Well, they weren't entirely defenceless, though, were they? Talk about some of the contingencies that you had in place if things were to ever hit the fan. Yeah, so there was uh, a Fortisar there with capital ships inside. There were several uh, caps. There were some dreads, faxes, carriers, things of that nature probably out of date in terms of their fit-ins, right? Um, these things had been built many, many, many years ago when metas were rather different and, you know, perhaps were in need of a bit of a refresh, should we say? So there was that. There was also, you know, significant backstocks of battlecruiser doctrine. Not exactly the, the thing you'd commonly find in a Wormhole. You know, Wormhole is typically known for its sort of heavy, heavy armour, T3Cs, uh, lots of other sort of iterations of things. But in this particular place... Somebody many years ago had made the decision to use the same doctrine in the Wormhole group as in the rest of the uni, which was Feroxes. So there was a sizable stash of Feroxes, T2 Logi to go with them, links, T3Cs, command ships, all of the extra bells and whistles you'd expect really with a Ferox fleet. Now, like I say, anyone listening to this who knows anything about Wormhole defences is going to perhaps be a little bit shocked or laugh at the idea of a Ferox fleet uh, defending a wormhole. But the idea would have been, and this was always the uh, the sort of the setup, that numbers of pilots was something Uni has never really struggled with. So getting enough people into the hole to defend it and then putting those people in Feroxes or Basilisks or whatever else is ultimately what's going to be a successful defense. And it had worked previously. So for when I inherited the role of FCT manager, that's what 
was there. You know, we we had been discussing internally reviewing that and changing it, uh, but uh, things in EV University move at a gradual, maybe glacial pace sometimes. <laughs> All right, so the stage is set. Let's talk about the opening moments of this whole situation. When did people realize something was happening? How did things kick off? So like most things in EVE, if you're an FC, things kick off with a ping. So one day at around about 1800 EVE, I had a ping from an Intel channel that a structure in the Wormo Group campus place was being refed. When I saw that, I logged in and I got straight on comms. I think it was within maybe a minute or two of, of the ping. And when I logged in, I found that we had a fleet of approximately 70 people in the wormhole. 38 legions, 4 ickies, some devoters, sabers, lokis, praxis. There was um, Varga. There was various other bits and pieces. And those, those were just the things off a D-scan, right? Because there was other ships. There was, there was two fleets of rolling ships. There were various other bits and pieces. Already in the hole, with hole control. And the inhabitants were just trying to gather intel. You know, they were uh, doing their best to work out what was happening. It became apparent to me immediately that we were basically dealing with an eviction, and that's what I communicated immediately to the uh, the university, you know, leadership and stuff, that um, what, as soon as we saw who was doing this, we knew immediately that we were dealing with a serious eviction. And, you know, as serious as it gets, right? One of the largest right. and most more competent evicting groups. And we already mentioned in the previous episode that there was a significant issue of corp thefts and sabotage that made any attempted defense that much harder. Talk, talk about that angle. When did that come into play? What happened and what has the investigation since turned up? So we have very good intel, not perfect, but very good intel on this because as it happens, I had been checking stocks, making sure everything was in order in the days leading up to this event. So not really a coincidence because that was something that was a regular thing that I did, right? Kept a, a regular eye on stocks across the entire university for strategic operations. And within 72 hours of this event, I was stock, stock taking. I was physically checking things, checking fits, checking ships. I knew exactly what was there. It was not just this Ferox fleet, right? There were um, there was a small battleship fleet, uh, there were various other extras that we could have um, perhaps employed for various things. So that stuff, you know, I was confident was present, right, in the correct hangars, in the correct place, all in order, all ready to go. In fact, I'd put an order in 72 hours previously for some little bits and pieces that were missing. And that order had turned up earlier that day into the fort. I was confident that everything was going to be ready and in order. And the attitude and, and mood around the, the group that I play the game with was jovial. We were happy. We were quite content that provided we could find a way to get enough pilots into the hole, we would have a good fight, you know, at the very least. And you know, ultimately, when you're dealing with an eviction from a group like this, they could always bring backup. They could always, you know, turn the screw in various ways. So we didn't have expectations of winning as such. But we certainly had this jovial attitude about we're going to put up a damn good fight here. We're going to have a hell of a fight for our members. We were really looking forward to putting 150-person Ferox fleet on field and just duking it out with these people. And I was thrilled with the idea, to be honest with you, of having that fight. Obviously, the eviction itself, we didn't know if we were going to succeed on that front. Because, you know, if we'd won that one fight, maybe they would have kept going. We didn't know how determined they were going to be. And, you know, if a, if a determined group wants you out of a wormhole, 
then yeah, well, you, you've got a big challenge on your hands, right? If you're a new yeah. a new player organization. But that fight was something we were looking forward to. Eventually, we managed to squeeze one or two pilots into the hole that were able to do the stock take in from that end again. And when they got it in, which was oh, once they start, what did they check the hangars? It was roughly around about eight, seven or eight hours after this started. They said, oh, the, the ships are gone from the hangars. There's nothing there. And I said, well, yes, there is because I checked them. <laughs> you know, I know they're there. No, 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 they're not. They must, you must have accidentally left them in your hangar or whatever. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I, I definitely didn't. Anyway, dutifully, I went and checked my tunes just to make sure I wasn't, uh, you know, misclicking or anything like that. And, um, yeah, I was able to say, look, no, if they've gone, they've gone somewhere. They shouldn't have gone. There's absolutely no way. And what I'm saying is that I came to the realization within minutes that this was intentional. So we quickly did an audit of who had roles to access those hangars. We were able to cross-reference that list with people who had access to the structure because it would be incredibly difficult to do anything with those things in those hangars without access to the structure as well, which narrowed that list of people characters down to a very 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 small number of characters then you can look at things like when were players logged into the game right when were characters logged into the game last because as a corp you can look at those things so we were able to look at who had roles to access the hangars who had logged in between when i checked them last and when the ships were missing and who had access to the structure and the list of individuals that could have deleted those items from the hangars was a very small list and um we were quickly able to then identify who it was. And, and essentially, one of the opposition was um, somebody who was who had held se- senior roles within the organization and had um, still had a character in the university that had roles. So we knew at that point what had happened. But, you know, if you said to me, have you got a log that tells you exactly what happened when and who did it? Then the answer to that is, I don't have a specific log that tells me who took those trips from those hangars. What I do have is a list of circumstances and pieces of evidence that point in a very specific direction. Let's talk about the consequences of that. Were you guys able to mount any effective defense? If so, how did the battle play out? And talk about the damages done. So one of the challenges you've got is in in a new group, new player group, right, is matching up the available pilots with the available ships. Because you could have thrown me 30 marauders, but did I have 30 marauder pilots, right, in the hole? The opposition, they essentially held hole control for the duration of the event. And they were very, very tight with their hole control. So as soon as any affiliated character entered high sec local where they were maintaining hole control, they would roll the hole. And then they would immediately backstop the next hole so that by the time we were able to try and get the next group of shuttles from Thera to the next hole, to the next high sec, they were already backstopping. So that as soon as a university or affiliated character entered local, they would shut the backstop again and um, roll the next hole. And they we kept them at that for, for many, many, many hours. So we were not able to get characters in. We managed to get about seven or ten roughly characters in in the first six hours. And some of those were key people that we were able to use then in the defence. And then in, in the interim, between finding out all the ships were gone and the ultimate hell timer for the fort, we were able to muster together enough donations, enough sort of corp assets and enough other bits and pieces to mount some sort of defence with battle cruisers. So we had a choice then between Ferroxes or Drake Navy issues. 
And essentially what we had to try and match up then was, you know, what kind of fleet were they going to field at the end? Because with hull control, we didn't know if they were going to stick with the legions or were they going to bring in the shacks or were they going to bring in Vargas or whatever, right? We weren't 100% sure. So we had to kind of work it out. Uh, what do we have? What do we have in terms of people and ships? And then the caps, well, we had to use um, some for, you know, strategic things like insurance fraud, but other things like suitcase, but also some for offensive purposes. So we had to look at, you know, who has T2 cap capable pilots in the hole? Um, where are they best placed? What are we best using those for? So we, we mustered up the best of capital ships and battle cruiser fleet that we could. And um, I wasn't able to FC it at the time because I couldn't get a tune in. But um, I did manage to get a sneaker tune in right at the end and sneak about 40 or 50 Unistas in under their hull control, which was a proud moment that we were all cheering about. Not that it made a huge difference at the end, sadly. But um, yeah, we ended up fielding a decent size of battle cruisers. I can't remember the exact numbers. I mean, you can look on Ezekiel, but we weren't able to even match their numbers on field, right? Which, you know, when you look at, they were they were running um, the Legions with, I think it must have been T3C Logi. We killed one, I think, and that was a good job. But essentially, the fort grid is so big that, you know, you're, you're essentially just trying to chase around these uh, Legions, which can kind of kite, kite you out. You know, as long as they stayed away from the Dreads, the Horde Dreads and stuff, then they could essentially kite around and we got the fort down i mean the fc that led it was really good he managed to get them we had seven minutes left on the timer if we if we'd pushed them another seven minutes we'd have saved the fort timer but uh it wasn't to be there were a few issues with fits there were a few issues with the uh the caps and stuff you know it, it wasn't really a perfect uh scenario by any means but um it was a it was a a defense of sorts. And uh, yeah, the, the issue we found at the end was that it turns out that people who live in a, in a new Brocorp, in a wormhole, they keep a lot of stuff in that wormhole they shouldn't. And um, we had a lot, <laughs> <laughs> right? You won't believe it. I couldn't believe in the end the stuff we were getting thrown. Like towards the, the last hour or two, people were literally throwing stuff at us in the hole. People were throwing all sorts of stuff at us that if we'd had days before, we might have been able to do something with. But what can you do, right? Yeah, does that answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. Where does uni stand now? What's been the fallout from this? Because obviously it's a major upheaval. There was a betrayal of trust, a major loss of infrastructure. The whole campus got essentially popped down to zero. Anything that they couldn't log off with is gone. So where does that leave you guys? Yeah, I think day-to-day operations, it, it doesn't make much difference, right? The the value lost like theoretical value, right? There was no, there was no realistic sense that any of this stuff could have been sold off. Right? A lot of what was lost was people's assets that they were always going to leave in that hole and never remove anyway. That they were personal to them, and I imagine that their personal losses are huge. But in terms of the university's loss, you know, the university was able to, to as, as far as I know, suitcase a lot of its assets and a lot of its critical stuff. It lost obviously a lot of structures, including a fortissar, which is a lot of risk to replace but it can afford to do that. I think what it has lost is that that community has been fractured. You know, they've the problem with Eve University for, for things like this, and I, I said this at the beginning, right, is that it's not set up as a military-style operation. You know, when you look at groups like Brave, it's very much led by the military side of things. You know, the logistics and military players work hand-in-hand, side-by-side, 
when it comes to any decisions, any anchoring of structures, any operations of any kind, they have to work together. You know, you would never see anything really happening of significance unless Shattered Armor was uh, leading the way or one of the other Strat FCs in Brave was leading the way. And, you know, they, they, they're very much militaristic in their decision-making. You know, they're quick, they, they get things done. I remember when um, Pandemic Legion was killing all of the Anseblexes in Pure Blind, it was very quick for them to make decisions about, okay, where are we going to put the next one? Where we, where, what system are we going to connect it to? What are we going to do about our relationship with Weform, Blob and Volta? You know, those those things were never held up by bureaucracy or, or anything like that. But whereas in EVE University, the vast majority of EVE University's efforts is on things like teaching players how to buy skill books, you know, attending a class on how to join a fleet, attending a class on, you know, skill plans and PI and all of these things that just keep happening in the background, well, those things take up the majority of the university's resources and time and effort. You know, the mining fleets, the high sec stuff, all the production stuff. So the the leadership are already dealing with the day-to-day operations of a huge new new player group. For them to then have to suddenly, and especially over the Christmas period, pivot into militaristic style decision-making is almost... Well, it's a big ask, right? It's, it's like they're not set up for it. The structure means that very few people make decisions. So and until they they are 100% satisfied that what they're doing is, is the right thing, they're going to delay making a decision. So what we've ended up with really is a bit of a, a pause and a big sort of status quo. And there's no real movement. But there will be movement. There will be decisions and they will decide what to do next. What I can tell you is that... They, there will be another Wormel community. You know, they definitely will. And um, whether they'll do the same thing again, well, they're contemplating that. Will will things change in the future? Some things will change. Some things won't. And it's just, it's, it's down to other people other than me to, to make those decisions. Because uh, not that I wouldn't want to, but it's just, just the way the university is set up. It's, it's set up in a way that um, the decisions are made by a small number of people that set the overall direction and, and they take, they take their time in, in deciding what to do. I think you've answered one of the questions I was going to ask, which was, do you guys plan on doing it again? And it sounds like, as you say, you've got plans to, to run this again. My experience has always been with, with wormholes that it, it's it's very much an all-in, all-out thing. It's sometimes can be quite difficult to have a kind of room one on the side, if you will, because as soon as one of these major blocks comes along, you do do wormholes for a living. It can be very, they can make it very difficult even to mount a defense. This is without you know someone coming in and nicking all your stuff as well. Yeah, I think... As far as we know, there's no um, real motivation in the community, in the Wormhole community, to evict the next iteration again. This one happened because we had three people that were in uh, leadership or management positions that used to be heavily involved in the Wormhole community, running of it, um, were disgruntled and um, you know left and felt they weren't listened to, felt that, you know, all their concerns about how easy it would be to evict the, the, the Wormhole campus, given, you know, enough information, given enough will, you know, weren't listened to, and then decided to prove the point, right? That they were the ones who came with their friends who were allegedly paid. They were the ones who came to do it. So I can't imagine that, you know, there's much motivation to do it again because, well, these the people that arranged this knew 
about all the vulnerabilities. They knew about the loot pinata that they could get at the end of it. That's not going to be the case next time. They're not going to know the ins and outs of everything. They're not going to know about that there's 11 years worth of accumulation of assets potentially in there and things like that. Even though the, the assets were rolled um, regularly, you know, they're still players that play the game for 10 years straight. And even though the, the ports are, are rolled, they'll just move their stuff from the old fort to the new fort and then perhaps log off again, you know, so that you, you can't stop that. But I, I, so I don't think there's going to be a huge like risk of the, the same thing happening again straight away. And like you say, it's like an all or nothing thing. Well, well, the members are very much all in. The members want to be, where, where's number two? Let's go. You know, they're very much uh, keen on giving it another go. Oh, credit to you. I think it's uh, wormholes, one of those things that I've never really had much of an experience in, in itself. I, I, all credit to you, and I, and I wish Eve knew you all the best with, with Mark too. And yeah, it's, it's much better when you can put a full-on defense against someone rather than someone doing you dirty, taking all your stuff away and keep keeping good hole controls so you can't get a good force in. But these people weren't after the gang, were they? They were just after the piñata. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, i got to say, to be transparent, that the majority of the opposition have claimed that they knew nothing about the theft of the assets, that they, they in fact say that the people accused on their end deny it. So they're leaving it open to, well, maybe it was somebody inside. Maybe it was an inside job. Maybe you've got people you shouldn't trust in your in your side of things. So, you know, I don't think the whole group knew that part of the plan was to steal our defence fleet. Um, and I'll be completely honest, even if we had the defence fleet, we still would have struggled with hull control, we still would have struggled with the ultimate, the fight at the end anyway. It wasn't like that was the, the the ultimate thing. It certainly made a huge difference because it gave us less options. And I think we would have put up a bigger fight had we had those things to, to rely on. Um, but I've said, you know, and I think I'm happy to share my thoughts on what should change for the future a little bit. One of the things that um, was decided many years ago was that the defense of the Wormall group would be the responsibility of the of the FC team, when in reality, I think, you know, it needs to be more of a, the defense of the wormhole community should be assisted by people from outside of that community. You know, the, the, ultimately to live in a wormhole, the people who live in the wormhole should have among them PVP-minded people that can quickly make combat decisions, quickly regain whole control, quickly challenge for things, have lots of experience in that area if you're going to survive in a wormhole, right? Like, if you if you live in Sovnal, then you can always bring in the big alliance to help you if a structure gets wrecked. But if you live in a wormhole, if you don't have the ships and the knowledge and the skill and the experience and the... And, and it's not just sometimes about having an FC or having the right ships, right? As a community... You need to be able to read each other's minds, don't you? If you're gonna if you're gonna pull off wrestling hole control from this group of players that are very good at it, then you kind of got to be flying together regularly. You've got to know who who to trust with certain roles and responsibilities. You've got to kind of be able to go. Let's go. We're doing this at one o'clock. Let's go and um, have confidence in each other. That even if it all goes wrong and you all get potted, that you're not going to be upset with each other, or you know you're going to have you know, the best chance of, of victory and things. Um, and, and I think that is something that I've been trying to instill in people is, you know, the next iteration of, of the Wormall community needs to have more of a an intrinsic ability to maintain the whole control side of it if they're going to then rely on an outside defence to come in. Because we had plenty of offers from plenty of people who said, if you can give us an entrance, we'll we'll help you. 
well, you know, the opposition knew that, and and this is something that I'm willing to share, right? That the people, some of the people that did this had been saying for years, the problem you've got with your defense is, and they would list the problems with the defense, right? They would say, any competent group is going to stop you from getting people in. Any competent group is going to do X, Y, and Z. You're relying entirely on the ships you've got in the hole. And what happened? Those same people came along and proved their points. They proved that a competent group can stop you from getting shuttles into your hole. If you rely too heavily on your own internal defense fleet in one place, what if it's not available? You know, things like that. Um, also, the defense fleets you've got are not exactly perfect for, for wormholes. Um, That's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? What if your yeah. singular defense fleet isn't available because we steal it from you? Yeah, well, you know, you know I, I mean, I could literally read out to you the comments <laughs> that one of these people on the opposition side were, were making back, you know, years ago, about roughly 18 months ago. And, and literally they were bullet pointing, one day somebody could just turn up with no notice, get hold control, and you, you'd have no chance. 25 people, they actually said, 25 competent people could evict your Wormel campus without any hesitation. And then they left the university and then one day they came back and did it. Lesson learned for next time, eh? Yeah. yeah, and what can you do, right? I mean, the, the person I'm referring to didn't didn't uh, learn the game in Eve University, right? This is somebody who was very experienced coming in, trying to share their knowledge, and um, felt that they weren't being listened to. And um, the thing is, with Eve University, um, it's such a big institution that I would imagine the majority of people who, who attend Eve University don't feel listened to. I mean, it's whether I think you've got the, the uh, maturity to take that on the chin and say, well, that's okay. Well, major props to the Unistas for picking up, dusting themselves off and wanting to dive back into wormhole space again. I think lesser pilots and a lesser group would have been scared off of it. So cheers to them. Yeah. And, and in, with credits given to one of the opposition who is probably more of a neutral party in all of this, they said themselves publicly, good groups will rise again, basically. You know, that uh, the, the measure of a successful group is that you get chucked out of a wormhole or whatever and you, you dust yourself off and you try again. Let's talk of uh, structure hits of a different flavor. We've got our own story of Christmas shenanigans. I would say it's commonly known in the Galenti Militia. I don't know how much detail there is around it, but one of our member corps, Horngry, they were the folks who actually pulled us into factional warfare in the first place. They run a lot of the infrastructure for the Galenti militia, both in and out of game. The in-game infrastructure in LOSEC relies on a protection agreement with Snuffbox. I mean, this is essential if you want to be running large-scale industry in LOSEC in the areas where Snuff lives, which is the Galenti Caldari war zone. I don't know the details of when it started, how long it went, what the rates were, or any of those other details. Uh, wasn't my agreement. I personally wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have think it was worth making an agreement like that, but it was in place long before we came along, and so we just let it go, and I, I kind of left it to Hungary to handle. Unfortunately, something went wrong. Uh, Nick's Aeon, their CEO, who had been long-term AFK, also a, a theme from the uni. Not a great situation, and it'll come up again in the show a bit later. But yeah, when your alliance executor or corporation CEO is away for long periods of time, 
it's usually not a good sign. Uh, in this case, he wasn't away away. He had he had popped back to play within the last month or so. He had a very active director who was in communication with him around day-to-day issues and, and some tactical decisions. But he wasn't really playing, playing, and he wasn't super communicative. communicative. And at some point in the days leading up to Christmas, something went wrong here. We still, to this day, cannot get a straight answer on exactly why the falling out happened or if it was a falling out or simply a non-payment. But Stuff didn't get their money and did what anyone with a kind of agreement would do, and they began hitting all of the structures, essentially evicting horn-grease structures from Losec. And over the course of, it wasn't even a few hours, <laughs> barely any time at all, really, uh, using Snuff's massive dread and super capital fleet, they rolled through and reinforced everything they had, including the headquarters and primary industrial uh, and market hub for the Glenty Militia in the Southern War Zone. And it just so happened, the timers would have it come out during Christmas Eve. So effectively, there was no one around to defend the armor timer. And the kill timers would be in the week between Christmas and New Year's. A lot of people on vacation. And at that point, in a structure timer against a group like Snuffed, your chances of successful defense are quite, quite low. So uh, I believe we formed what defense we could, but against a group like Snuff, against a corporation of our size, not really much to be done. Uh, Lave, were you there for that? I was there. I was I was actually there when they first started reinforcing it, kind of put the message out there. It was fine minus to get on for the final thing. Again, I think Snuff picked the time so that opposition would have been at an all-time low because uh, over time, a lot of people have been have expressed interest in helping out. And Snuff, you mentioned before, Snuff may not have been paid. Snuff may have been paid and decided to go for it itself. They've got form for this. Regardless, they decided that was what they wanted to do and they rolled through with their Titan blob. And yeah, they, there wasn't really anything much to be done with the numbers that were there. There were neutrals and third parties, but Snuff turned up in long-range Titans and did the job from a distance, warping in close, blopsing in a, a, and their Redeemer and Black Ops fleet close to pick through the ruins of the of the Satoyu. But that, as they said, was that. And I just think, yeah, it's, I mean, they, they wanted to kill it. That was fine. They clearly chose their time to do it so that they'd have a, as minimal kind of resistance as possible. Not that we would have seriously been able to get them without any kind of bat phone. But yeah, disappointing. But these things have been happening in E for years and years and years now. Yep. And I think considering it was the holidays, I was pretty happy with our response before the armor timers. I believe we evacuated, if not every capital ship, we came really close and took ship maintenance bays full of ships and fleet hangers worth of stuff out with it. So that combined with the fact that it is low sec, you do have asset safety, it delivers in system for very little money. The actual loss to folks was not, that bad. The loss to members was not that bad, but it was a big disruption to the market. It was a big disruption to anyone doing manufacturing in that station, which was a lot of innocent third parties. And the yeah. overall damage to Horngri itself, which unfortunately is also on the network skill board, but hey, that's how it goes. Approximately $750 billion in damage. That's all of the uh, structures dead, plus some of the more expensive ships added up. I didn't get an exact figure, and I'm sure it'd be a bit higher because there are things like clones and and all sorts of other stuff to throw into that mix. But 
Somewhere between seven twenty-five and seven fifty billion, I would say. Yeah, and there was a lot of a lot of manufacturing materials that went. So the Tatara that was in local that also went was a hundred, nearly one hundred and twenty billion of a death in the Satoya reacting over two hundred billion by itself, of which about one hundred and thirty billion. That just going to be the rigs alone for the Satoya itself, and a lot of structures, a lot, a lot of just materials there that you know people had stuff in build on the market, went away for the holidays, came back, and then their home had been vaporized. Yeah, the timing of it was pretty shit. I could have waited a week. But I think, like you said, Lay, if they wanted to do it when they know they wouldn't face that kind of resistance, because we we probably would have been able to get enough people, I think, any uh, other week of the year. There's enough people There's enough people around um, to it, that, that snuff have annoyed or done anything else that were reaching out and said, that's fine. It's just, it's the holidays. Yeah. So Sucks. Sucks yep. big time. Suck for Horngree. They were down to pretty much one or two active members. They have folded, and that's an unfortunate loss for the Galenti faction warfare community as a whole. They were a big source of infrastructure, big source of money, big source of institutional memory, and that's gone. Despite it all, though, we have actually managed to recapture Hadley's thanks to the work of, of Essence Alliance primarily with a hand at, excuse me with a hand from Sedition who has spent more time in the Southern War Zone to compensate. But in general, yeah, it's a, it's a huge blow to the Southern War Zone, and we're probably going to see the impact of that on the Faction Warfare map over the course of the next couple of weeks as the holidays are now wound down and players are back to their normal EVE PvP routines. I mean, let's face it, Kaldari needed snuff to get us out. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Yep. I mean, to be fair, I'm probably going to preempt my shout out now. There's been a lot of industrialists and, and people who've, who've um, put a lot of effort into trying and getting the market back going in Hadley's because it, it was a Freeport market. This wasn't just Gowmel. Even Snuff, a week previous to this, were blopsing from the Satoyu. No, they were they were using this structure itself, and it was useful for it, it generated content, a lot of content in the area because the market was was pretty competitive for itself, and a lot of people have now reinstated that in the, one of the NPC stations in local. So we're still seeing quite a lot of third parties coming through. Hadley's can, and fleet and the training systems can be a bit of a thunderdome. They are great places um, to come and do fighting. So a big shout out to the industrialists, the people who've basically turned Hadley's, one of the stations there, into a bit of a garage station. It's not the full market, it's not a Costco, but it'll do. I'm sure it'll get better over time. We're essentially in the triage stage, especially from an industry setup where you have to redo your, potentially redo your supply lines. Some materials have been lost. I'm sure some stuff was stuck in asset safety. So that it's already getting put back together, I think is a good sign. But onward and upward... It's 2024 now. We're still taking a look back at 2023, though, with the Black Mark Awards. We have put out the nominations. The nominations are open to Noir members and members of the Declarations of War Discord server, which consists of both guests and our VIP subscribers. Shoutouts to our VIPs, the Golden Elite, and everyone who has guest starred on the show since we've started up. If they're if they're still active and they've got a Discord account. They are on that server, and we have the nominations in. First category, Best FC, or FC of the Year, as you like it. Young Puke 2 from Sedition. Dark Shines from Initiative. And Clarity is from EVE University. 
I think that's a nice list of very active FCs there. It's an interesting mix, and I think it does reflect the uh, <laughs> it reflects pretty well the constituency that we put it out to. Although, you know what I was surprised about this year? No one nominated a major streamer or YouTuber. We've had that in all the past couple of years. The ones I think of as being active, uh, Kiakte would be the one I think is the most active FC that streams, right? I mean, others, they do less of the fleet FC, I think, than more silly things these days. And uh, some of them have moved on to other things, right? So like CCPB, yep. CCP now. Hey, Kiakte is getting a mention. Uh, we move into the community hero category. Kiakte is nominated, as is Grey Gal, who we've had on the show recently. And yourself, Zero. Oh, I well, that surprises me. <laughs> Surprise nomination. Yeah, congratulations. Either that or some of these are Zero is, is promoting himself and other Eve University, Eve University personalities. It could be that too. <laughs> it's not that. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> do I need to do a ballot audit? <laughs> Remember, we've met him in personally. Do we think he's that kind of person? I like. Oh, neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Doctrine of the Year uh, Tornadoes making another appearance Exec Navy Issues I kind of merged this Wasn't quite clear whether the Railgun or the Blaster version Was being referred to Or had dominance in the nominations so Just kind of merged it all together The Exec Navy though Has been a really impactful ship this year I have to say It's just so cheap for what it does uh, The other nomination in that category Kiting Battleships I think in particular the Panther has kind of emerged as a niche but popular pick for this particular kind of fleet fight. Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of medium-sized battleship fleets that don't brawl in the last 12 months, right? Really interesting, especially when, say, a quite a powerful group has, say, 10 people or 15 people, and they might have a few multi-boxes with that. And they want to dominate a grid and they'll they'll bring bar guests or they'll bring something else that they can kite away with and at the same time be in a battleship. It's weird to think of battleships that kite, but particularly in faction warfare where you have a lot of ships using afterburners, it does kind of emerge as a possibility. I think as soon as you brawl, though, like all it takes is someone to drop a fax and then you can't break them without bringing your own and then it just spirals. Yep. Best game update. We've got four this year. There is the Havoc update in its entirety, the Viridian update in its entirety, specifically Zarzak being added to the game. I know that's had uh, iterations across a couple different patches, but Zarzak of the system and everything that comes with it. And Keepstars being banned from HiSec also got a nod. I think that should probably say Excel structures in general, because I don't think you can do Satoyus either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the Keepstar, I think, was the major one. So that was the TTT trading Keepstar and Perimeter and all of its competitors in previous iterations. I think most of them... Finally the, did. I think, yeah, most of the large structures of... The extra large structures, sorry, in uh, high sec now are gone, right? But I think there's a few in, um, you know, Australian CNTZ time zones still uh, lurking around, perhaps? There are, oh, yeah, there's a few. Possible. Yeah. I mean, so to be clear, CCP didn't remove them. They just prevented new ones from being anchored, and then players took it upon themselves to destroy the more publicly known and offensive ones. But chances are good there's still a few out there. 
the Shuttlethron Award for Fail of the Year. <laughs> we got a nomination for Goonswarm Internal Security over the J Amazingness theft. <laughs> Baltrum for being scammed out of 16 AT ships worth approximately $3 trillion isk. Oh, Do we ever get a final tally of, of what J Amazingness took? I know goons were being quite coy about it. I, I couldn't bear to add it up watching the video myself, but oh my god. It's got to be double, if not triple digit trillion, right? And the damage that could have been caused if all the clones had been destroyed, but then right. the, the mechanics saved a few of them. <laughs> and uh, not theft related or scam related, but the collapse of the B2 coalition. This would be Brave, Volta, and the remnants of Fireco. We covered that in the show. That is definitely a contender. I think for me, specific events around that, perhaps things like, um, did they lose a keep star that was an anchoring um, to yeah. a spy? Somebody burned a spy for a keep star. Oh, oh dear. They lost a number of jump freighters after the extraction had been called. They lost more. I think they lost more large, large, X large, whatever. The, the key strategic structures were lost on the retreat than the actual fighting, which yeah. I think is funny. Propaganda, we've got the Mimitar Fleet Alliance versus the Heck Mining Association, a number of articles being traded back and forth by those groups. Jay Amazingness makes another entry with his theft video, which is just him speed stealing everything from Goonsorn that wasn't nailed down, to, to no text or narration, just music, no explanation. And uh, the posters for Faction Warfare, um, specifically the Amar versus the Mimitar, a number of really interesting propaganda posts going back and forth from those guys. I've got to be honest, this um, I've, I've read this Mimitar Fleet Alliance versus Heck Minus Association stuff, and and the other stuff in, in Faction Warfare, I, I, I really struggle to understand what's going on, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Dev of the Year... This is usually quite a thick field. However, the nominations really came down to two. They weren't the only devs nominated, but they had a clear favor in the votes. CCP Aurora and CCP Zealous. I can't recall the last time we've had a straight head-to-head showdown for Dev of the Year, so this one should be interesting. For me, this comes down to the fact we've had some very favorable updates to the game perhaps maybe driven by CCP Aurora in people's minds. Yep. And we've had, you know, tournaments, right? We've had the Captain's Cup. We've had the Alliance tournament. And I think people look at CCP Zealous and maybe pin a deal of appreciation onto CCP Zealous for those things. Now, I appreciate that neither of those two things are solely the responsibility of Aurora or Zealous. And there's lots of people that do get involved in such things, including members of the community, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about you know, people who test things in advance, give feedback, people who run tournaments and help with casting and all those things as well. But I think that might be why those two have been nominated for Dev of the Year. No, I think you're 100% right. They are definitely, they're definitely the public faces of very large teams of both CCPers, CSMers, and community people. So... I think it would be definitely fair to say that if they were to get awarded that that pick, it's not necessarily them personally, but them sort of 
heading up the entire efforts for what they get behind. On the one hand, it's game development. On the other hand, it's kind of, like you said, the, the esports side of things, the competitive side of things, and all of the community activity and passion that goes into that. The Brisker Ball Award for Best CSM, speaking of the CSM, we've got Arcia Elkin, Pandoralica, and Angry Mustache. This, because of the way the CSM elections work and the fact the new CSM has basically just come in and hasn't had a chance to do much of anything, <laughs> this is the previous CSM that was up for uh, nomination this year. And then in next year's Blackmark Awards, the CSM that is currently sitting as we're talking right now will be eligible. Best guest, also usually a thick field, now down to two. Yin Tan and the Oz. Yin Tan, of course, a former host of Declarations of War, now extremely active in the EVE tournament scene. And the Oz, an extremely popular streamer, YouTuber, community figure, and now CSM member, who is the master of the EVE economy and has found a way to make that entertaining to a very mass audience. That's going to be a tough pick. I think they both had really good episodes. Yeah, definitely. Noir MVP. This is not a tight field. It's wide open with, well, I guess, sorry, it is a tight field because it is wide open. We got four candidates this year. I could not pick between them based on the number of nominations received. We've got Joanna McQueen, who, uh, among other things, has taken a lead organizing for Nora Academy this year, making sure they get ships and uh, really helped us relaunch it in the early days of it. Levitain, you have a nod. Uh-oh. I've got nominated for the first time. The first time? Yeah, believe it or not. Yep, all three of your hosts today now have nominations. This is yeah. totally not suspicious. <laughs> it's not. The only suspicious thing is it's the first time it's happened. Emergency <laughs> meeting, it's him. Uh, and then Tommy McPhee, our number four, the former head of NAR Academy, who's returned this past year and has been a huge figure in doing logistics and FCing. And then finally, last but not least, NAR Rookie of the Year, open to folks who have joined the court for the first time in 2023. We've got Vate, who's a logistics and FC bro for our EUTZ that has also played some U.S. time zone. We've got Evil Source, another EUFC, uh, super, super active, and came in and made an immediate impact in the Corp in just his first couple months. And Joanna McQueen with another nomination. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to throw it up to voting for the general audience, actually, as soon as this episode comes out. So if you're listening to this right now, you can go to declarationsofwar.com, check out the post for the show, and there will be a link for you to fill out the form and vote for who you support for all of these nominations. And we'll be back with the winners by next month. Moving into some host highlights, I had a really cool highlight coming back to Eve for the first time in about a week and a half as I was traveling for the holidays. Uh, a lot of lowlights for my travel time because I was sitting at home looking at Discord while the snuff stuff was going on and I was not able to log in and actually help fight, which probably wouldn't have made a difference, but really bothered me because I really, really wanted to be there, but I had no computer. So what could you do? 
I was just kind of cheering everybody on and looking at the killboard feed with a lot of anxiety. But I did manage to get into a great big old structure fight in low sec. Just wasn't my structure. Yesterday, we stumbled onto the massive Turner fight that happened between Volta and Gunboat Diplomacy Big AB. Uh, sorry, excuse me, Deepwater Hooligans. I was thinking of their one of their constituent corps. Uh, Deepwater Hooligans, Big AB, Volta, and a gigantic pile of third parties. I wasn't even entirely sure in the fight who was fighting who, and that was a big concern. We had a small assault frigate fleet we were running. Uh, one of our recently graduated Nor Academy guys, Imantis, he liked FCing so much for his graduation that he's kept up with it. And so we posted a bit of an MPSI room. We had a guy coming along who was himself applying to NAR Academy. He had been in the game for like two weeks. <laughs> and we filamented to NullSec. We ran into a pretty nasty gate camp that we couldn't go for go through. So we decided to filament out. And we filamented out into a system that had a Turner connection. And there was nothing else going on in that region. We we explored everything that was happening. It looked like there might have been some ratters. We couldn't catch them. It looked like there might have been a mining up, but I think they were scared off by another fleet. So we we're just like, all right, well, you know, we've been doing this for a little while. Let's get out of here. So we take the Turner connection in, expecting that we can go from where we're at to Turner to Zarzak. And from there, it's a pretty short roam through faction warfare space to get back to our staging system of Hadley's. Except when we jump into Turner, it's got over 1,200 people in it and multiple Sinos and half of locals flashy. So I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So we're, we're at this point scrambling to figure out what's going on because we had not heard about any of this going on ahead of time. Uh, we were just focused on the room. wasn't watching Discord too much. So I had no idea this was going on or what was happening. We scattered around and realized there was a structure being hit. Uh, Big AB was on one side of things, and they were shooting Volta. And we're like, ah, okay. I I guess we're on deep water side. <laughs> we warped and tried to figure out which of the Zenitras they were calling primary and warped our assault frigate onto fleet onto that, get on some of those kill mails. And once those were down, we started looking for anything we could get our hands on that wasn't part of Big AB's fleet, because that fleet was overwhelmingly large, and I did not want to draw their attention whatsoever. So we went for Storks, we went for Bifrost, we managed to catch a Widow and kill that. Uh, the Widow had been kind of skating by, it seemed, or maybe had been shot, but had warped out. Otherwise, I can't explain why it was still alive. Um, but we managed to get multiple assault frigates, scrams, and webs on it. And once we did, <laughs> Jack Mickoff from Deepwater Hooligans uh, primaried in with his Titan, and that, that was pretty much it. But it seemed like he had trouble tracking him beforehand because the uh, Volta guy was actually tanking really, really well for a while. I think he was getting some reps minimum. Once we got the extra webs on him, though, he did drop quite quickly. That was a nice 2 billion is kill. Felt pretty good. And our new recruit, who was in a Condor, had the best Eve experience of his young career. 
It's like, oh my god, I can't believe I've been playing less than a month and I killed a dreadnought. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was he was over the moon, but it was it was tie dyed to hell. I gotta tell you, that was uh, not the greatest experience, but it was playable. And you know, you you tell your ship to do something, and it would do it eventually. So I don't think anyone could complain about the state of the grid from a technical perspective. In terms of the overall fight, it looks like this was caused by some comments made by a Volta member who was not disciplined for it. Some racist comments against Chinese folks and local. Deepwater has a Chinese corporation and took issue with that. There is a lot of allegations of the pot calling the kettle black due to some comments made in some some racial comments made in Deepwater's Discord by their executor in the past, like several years ago. But regardless, that's the situation right now. There's also allegations that Deepwater Hooligans had wanted to kick Volta from the Turner area for a while, and we're just kind of looking for an excuse, and this was the, the fig leaf that they're using to get their way. But regardless of the reasons, it was a massive fight, a lot of fun for all sides, not likely the last word on the issue. And as far as ISK, it seems really hard to figure it out because there were so many groups involved, but I would say they're roughly even. Uh, There was a dead Big AB Ragnarok, but there were also a number of Revelation Navies, Dreadnoughts, Zenitras, just like a, a huge pile of losses on the other side. So it all kind of totaled out to roughly even with, uh, what's the total? About 1.6 trillion dead in the, over the course of the fight, which is about three hours long. And the Fortasar on Volta's side lived. So like you said, I think it's not the end of the story. Um, can you imagine 800 bill? roughly lost each side and the fort lived that's just incredible <laughs> i have no idea how that fort managed to live through it there were so many dreads on field i uh, i don't know how the the mechanics of that worked i can only assume the dreads were told to shoot ships and weren't suiciding to get the timer because there were so many of them i kind of have a difficult time imagining they couldn't have kept it at or near damage cap for the duration just to push it into the next timer. So I don't know how that played out. I do know that there were a lot of big AB supers on field. So maybe they, they just couldn't keep them alive long enough to get that sustained damage. It was kind of hard to tell because some of the dreads seemed like they were tanking quite a bit while we were on field, but then would just get deleted. I don't know with tie dye. It's a little hard to tell exactly how that battle was playing out and whether they were getting DD'd or if it, it was a fighter blob that hadn't arrived when you'd expect it to arrive, but they got there eventually. I don't know. Yeah, because I think I know a little bit more about this, and I think um, as far as I'm aware, you probably walked in on this as the numbers were relatively more even and the fight was a bit more even. But at the beginning of the engagement, when the fort was ticking down, my understanding from what I saw was that Deepwater's side were losing dreads far too quickly to concentrate on the fort and they were forced to fight the the, the Voltaside's fleet uh-huh. to prevent a huge whelp. So that's why they had to like go fleet on fleet then. Um, which, you know, I mean, I can imagine that 
the amount of DPS just to keep the fort going wouldn't have been huge, right? So it must have been pretty desperate for them to turn all of their DPS onto the the Volta side, especially considering the Volta side didn't escalate beyond Zenitra's. Um, you know, they didn't have any supers at all. Whereas on the big ab side, they had, you know, many supers. They had they had lots of titans. It was much heavier on the on the uh, the deep water side. And, you know, for them to lose a titan or two, I think it was just the one in the end, wasn't it? I saw a rag die. Yeah, it's um, just the one, though. Because that rag, I think it was... It wasn't tackled for ages. And then suddenly at the very end, Hick turns up. <laughs> um, I think if they just got that rag off or out, then uh, it would have been a different story. But but not, not but by then, the fort was already repaired. So, uh, yeah, I think generally what it was a case of was basically Volta put up a far bigger resistance than Big Ab were expecting and able to deal with. And then the fort lived. But the BR shows relatively equal wound on each side, I suppose. The BR shows that the Volta side, and this is probably subject to loads of third parties in there, like there's no way that Shadow Cartel are on the same side as Snuffed Out, who turned up in Dreads and Nightmares as well. Um, the Rag probably died because if you look at most of Big Ab's side, it's armour, and then in the, in the midst of this comes a Shield Super, and the rest, as they say, is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair bit. Um, yeah, I, I'm my my highlight is just missing that thing because I was busy in RL, kind of came on later, and I was just like, "What is happening?" But like sometimes the best fights in Eves are the ones that happen by surprise and, and spontaneously. Like if this were a second timer, you'd know that that Snuff would have get would have put their super fleet within range of this thing, so that if Big Ab did drop a hammer like they did this time, Snuff drops one that's three times the size. What is your highlight, Leave? Um, highlight actually was um, one of the things we'd noticed in Faction Warfare recently was that uh, our Kaldari friends have been much more aggressive on battlefields. I think before Christmas, we had a pretty decent record with battlefields. You know, we'd just we'd be able to get in them and force them out. And Kaldari have recently stepped up. You know, they they'd often have like Osprey Navy issues that would refit inside to just full tank and remote rep fit and just hold the warp in and make it difficult. And they'd form super quick and get into a battle for the cert control. And what we did, what we ended up doing as an experiment, is just bringing down some heavy ships as a bit of a kind of kick the door front door down. So I brought brought down some Lodgy Dominics and finally got to put those to use, and they did the job. Got us in, got us into the battlefield, got the win. Able to push off their fleet, which had no response. Um, I had not been able to use them again. We've fallen back to the good old trusty Noman, um, which continues to dominate um, in kind of the range of the battlefields itself. But yeah, it was just nice, nice to actually see and actually sit in a Dominix for what feels like an absolute age. It's nice to see the Dami coming back. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing a fleet of those with, with like other things to support, just because Spider Tank Dominixes have been. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I've had one of those in my fleet. It must have been well over five years. It's an age-old thing, well before the days of that dedicated logic fleets and facts and nesters. Mm-hmm. Zero, what's your highlight? So I was going to talk about living in a post for a week, but that's probably boring compared to... I felt this was a better one, bouncing off leaves. Um, just quickly, the other day, uh, I came up with a, a, a logi fit for a specific fleet comp. So me and a few friends... We sometimes take out this this composition that we take into the ESS, 
and then we kite out to the ESS. But look on D-Scan as if we're brawling. And then what happens is they, they bring in the, the, the marauders or whatever to kill us. And they find that, you know, there's one ship stealing the money that's literally just pulled off and is running away very quickly uh, under a swarm of Lodgy drones so they can't kill it while we're all outside of the bubble shooting at them from like a hundred odd kilometers and damping them out and stuff. And as part of that composition, I came up with a theoretical Lodgy ship that would look, you know, innocent in that composition so that they wouldn't suspect we had Lodgy. It's essentially the Lodgy Mauler, the shield Lodgy Mauler that uh, I came up with. And the way it works is obviously uh, a Mars ships have a lot of cap. So you can fit loads of um, shield, uh, remote shield reps on them and a scram <laughs> and different things just for utility. And on D-Scan, it looks like you've just brought a T1 brawling ship. And um, it came it came into its own, right? I, I begged uh, the FC to let me bring it one day. I was like, let me bring the Lodgy Mauler. And uh, eventually I had a yes on the alt. I brought uh, a Lodgy Mauler. And um, I was in the Lachesis, and at one point we, we were struggling to spread the damps, and one of the um, one of the Vargas actually managed to get a lock and, and sent logi- uh, sent um, damage drones at, at the Lachesis, and I was able to stream in with uh, the AB Mauler and just just orbit at three thousand and just shove the uh, the cap stable shield wraps on it. And um, the the, mall, uh, the um, marauder had to uh, disengage in the end, and I couldn't do anything about it. So I, I just I, I just remembered about that, and I thought that that was worth sharing instead. <laughs> the way you phrased it, you can't do anything about it. Cool. I also want to give a shout out to our golden elite supporters. We've got a new one: Theta Trades, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Ting Tengu, Tweak. And joining us over the holidays, Merry Christmas to you, Braille Trays. Excellent. I also want to give a shout out to Sabbath Saint from Triglavian Times. Uh, just, I don't even want to say why exactly, but just thoughts are with you, buddy. Yeah, I want to echo He's that. not dying, like to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not dying, but you know, uh, like we had a chat over the holidays, and yeah, he's a good dude, man. If you if you haven't met Sabat or haven't listened to his show, go check it out. He does a lot for his community, so just wanted to give him a shout out. Yeah, I just wanted to echo that because I had a conversation with Sabat the other day. But the person I'd said I was going to shout out is Kiakte at Funning, even better with friends, because obviously we mentioned Kiakte earlier in the show anyway for doing the MPSI stuff, but. I was in Kiakte's Alliance tournament team and the team won some skins. Now, these skins are super cool, right? They're um, Galente victory skins where you, you apply the skin to your character and you can apply it to a variety of Galente ships and everyone's really keen on these skins and they're worth quite a bit of risk. So Kiakte's way of distributing the skins, because there wasn't enough for every participant in the team, came up with a very, very interesting way. I thought it was a, a good way. Essentially, just totted up how many practices you'd attended and then gave you that amount of raffle tickets and then raffled mm. the uh, skins on a stream. I, I had attended every practice, so I had the maximum amount of raffle tickets and um, you couldn't win more than one, right? So like, if you won, then you were out because you'd won a skin. So I sort of watched and essentially what kind of happened was everybody had a chance but the people who'd attended the more practices had more of a chance. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, shout out to Kiakte for a creative and fun way of distributing very controversial amounts of ISK. I believe you already gave your shout out, so I guess that's it for this show. The first one of 2024. It's good to be back. Head to declarationsofword.com to participate in the show poll and leave a comment on this episode. Noir recruitment it was kind of on pause over the holidays, but we're back in full swing. Uh, Horngry has collapsed. Rotten Legion uh, was already a pretty small corporation in the network that we were trying to invest in, but they're leaving the game for Star Citizen. We are looking to make some moves in 2024 in recruitment. We had a great success in our academy last year. We're going to be doubling down on that again this year. And we are, of course, looking for partner corps. If you're a PvP corporation that wants to bring the mercenary lifestyle and mercenary content into your corporation's world, whether you're looking to keep doing what you're doing now or you want to join us in Faction Warfare, either way, we're happy to talk to you and figure out a way to get you involved in the content that you hear about on this show. You want to come hang out, chillax in Cafe Noir Dot in game, where you'll find a link to our Discord and plenty of people to answer all of your questions. And with that, Happy New Year, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Good hunting, listeners.